Welcome to It's Pronounced Memoir, where we read celebrity memoirs and then discuss them, mostly so we can write off the books as a business expense. I'm Wendy Ahrens, and thank you for tuning in. And in case I forget to say this later, please make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any episodes. And also leave us a five-star review or two, will ya? Today's show is going to be a fun one because <laughs> the memoir we're talking about is what the kids call a banger. And a word of warning, this episode has some strong language that may make you clutch your pearls if you don't like swearing. Now let me welcome my co-host Anne Imig and Mariana Alenko. Hello. Hi. Or should I say Anne fucking Imig and Mariana fucking Alenko? Because we're all ready to talk about Leslie Jones's memoir that is sweetly titled Leslie fucking Jones. Do you think we're going to get dinged by the podcast gods because we have a lot of F-bombs in this episode? No, I think that's allowed. It is. Okay. But you have to click that box that says. We'll click explicit. 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 We can't use an asterisk when we're saying fucking like she does on her book's cover, right? No, but we can say Leslie Flippin' Jones. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or Leslie frickin' Jones. In case you don't know Leslie, here's a quick bio that I got from her website, so chances are it's probably true. Leslie Jones is a three-time Primetime Emmy Award nominee, as well as a Writers Guild of America Award and NAACP Image Award nominee for her work on Saturday Night Live. She recently wrapped production on season two of the HBO Max series Our Flag Means Death, which I didn't know she was on. And earlier this year kicked off a new era of The Daily Show as the program's first guest host. She's been a stand-up comedian since college, and this is her first book. Um, She's also the same age as me. She was born just a few months before I was, which made me feel very unaccomplished. But Anne fucking Emig, what did you know about her before reading? Oh, I'm just familiar with her from SNL and Ghostbusters and Instagram, but I knew nothing about her personally. And her upbringing. What about you, Mariana fucking Malenko? First of all, I'm going to go and put on my pearls so that I can clutch them. The only thing I knew about her is all that drama and hysteria around her being in Ghostbusters and some people getting super upset and offended because I guess the integrity of the Ghostbusting characters wasn't being upheld. I knew she was a stand-up comedian, but Saturday Night Live is way past my bedtime now, so I don't think I've seen it in about 20 years. Your pearls look really pretty with your headphones. I just want to let you know. And there's something called videotape now, Mariana. Actually, no, there isn't. (laughs) Oh, there isn't. No. All right. Leslie starts her memoir this way, which lets you know right away that it's going to have a lot of attitude. I'm pretty sure Barbara Streisand didn't use most of these words in her book, which we don't yet know, but we'll find out. Quote, now I'm going to be honest. Some of the details might be vague because a bitch is 55 and she smoked a ton of weed. But while bits (laughs) may be a touch hazy, I can promise you the underlying truth is real. Whether I'm talking about my childhood growing up in the South, my early stand-up days driving from gig to gig through the darkest parts of our country and praying I wouldn't get murdered, What Chris Rock told Lorne Michaels that time I wanted to shoot Whoopi Goldberg on SNL. And yeah, I'll tell you all about Ghostbusters and the nudes and Supermarket Sweep and The Daily Show. I'm sharing it all in these pages. It's not easy being a woman in comedy, especially when you're a tall-ass black woman with a trumpet voice. I have to fight so that no one takes me for granted and no one takes advantage. These are the stories that explain why. Cue the Law and Order theme. 
let's let's just say this right now at the jump, but I read the book and you all listened, right? I read the book too, and I should have listened because that's how it was recommended to me. And I feel like I missed out. I have a long list of books I've now missed out on. Viola's Tony Award winning audiobook I have not listened to. I did listen to Grammy. Oh, you guys. We've already gone over this. Okay. I'm on the, I'm in the dunce. I'm wearing the dunce cap. Go ahead, Mariana. I started reading it on my Kindle and then Anne mentioned that she heard it recommended on audio. So I switched and I was so glad I did. It was really such a transformative experience. And I pity people who did not listen to it on audio. Thank you. Thanks for that. So is Chris yeah. Rock, is he on audiobook? He is. He does the foreword and then she pipes in and then they do that tape rewind and he comes back on. They have a little argument back and forth. It's really, really masterful. I, I can't really explain what it's like. It's just wonderful. Wonderful. Right. Yeah. I hear he was nominated for a Tony for that. <laughs> Anything else you want to say to shame me from reading and not listening on this one? It's not so much to shame you as to pity you both. Okay. But right. but there are things. So I read about a third of it on the Kindle. And then when I started it on audio, there were things there that she was saying that I didn't recognize. And I went back to the book and it wasn't in the Kindle version or in the printed version. And then later on, she says on the audio that, like, look, th this is so different from the book. They're like, I didn't, I just didn't read from the page. So she added so much, which made it a really richer experience. Can you just okay. read those really quick can, from memory? Can you just recite yeah. all those? I can, but they, I could. But why? <laughs> there are times where she'd be crying and then just, oh. uh, like, it was very... I assume it didn't say crying in the text. Yeah. So it was like a performance. Again, she's okay. a real, she's a storyteller. And this was a great medium for her. Like she's a stand up. So that makes total yeah. sense. I think writing this probably felt as foreign to her as it would to you to get up and do an hour long stand up set. So Leslie was born in Memphis, but her family moved to L.A. when she was in junior high, I believe. And her dad worked at Stevie Wonder's radio station, call yeah. letters KJLH. Do either of you remember what those letters stand for? No. no. I do because I used to listen to it when I lived in L.A. and made my commute. Kindness, joy, love, and happiness. None of which I felt on my commute, but I did like that radio <laughs> station. So Leslie had a happy childhood for the most part, but she does mention that she was abused by a family friend when she was just two years old. And how that sort of took the light out of her eyes and made her dad way more protective of her. She also seems yeah. to attribute that trauma for causing the rages she sometimes has. She mentions a couple incidents, like when the manager of a pizza hut was being rude to her mom and she jumped over the counter and yelled at him until the guy apologized. Did you all have the same insight that I did? That's what the rages are from or does she reference it herself that's where she thought so that came she, from she has something in there when she was five she was kicking a puppy and then oh, said that yeah. when you're powerless you try to take power over somebody else yeah. and yeah. she attributes that moment to like a fork in the road that one way she could have gone mm -hmm. was really serious like almost the psychopathy psychopathic how do you say that anyway and the other way it was a neighbor who he said, what are you doing? Stop doing that. And mm -hmm. it jolted her out of it. Yeah, and it was brave of her to even say it. Very. Yeah. 
Yeah, she doesn't really hold back in this book at all, even about things that make her not look great and that she's mm -hmm. embarrassed about. Like she said, she was ashamed of this incident with the puppy. But it's the truth, and she's a truth teller. Yeah, for sure. So she goes on in the book to write about how when she was in grade school, she was a class clown and had a couple of incidents detailed where she'd get in trouble. One time she even made the teacher cry. But then she'd charm her way out of it, which is such a great skill. It's You can't teach somebody to be able to charm their way out of it because I think she just has a very good heart. And she's a very sincere person, but the jokes come so easily to her. She doesn't necessarily know the effect it was having. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. And then she talks about part of her way of channeling her rage or her unhappiness was to get into sports, like lots of kids. She was encouraged to play basketball because of her height. And she writes a lot about her high school team and how competitive she was. And did either of you play basketball in high school? I did. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I was tall. Yeah. But I wasn't very good. Okay. No, maybe not in high school, in grade school. Okay. And maybe it was kickball. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I only played in college, which might surprise you, but did you? I was wow. a very good. No, I did not. But she, Leslie was so good. She got a scholarship to Chapman University, which is like a big deal. It's a private and prestigious school. That's usually considered a reach school. So that was quite the coup, getting a, a basketball scholarship to there. But she writes about how she lost her focus and ultimately lost her scholarship because she wasn't working hard enough, not taking the school part as serious, seriously as she should have. And when the coach tells her that they're not renewing her scholarship, she says, quote, but you shouldn't renew it because I don't respect you as a coach. You shouldn't be coaching here, motherfucker. Fuck you and your mama. That's not nice. It's not nice. Um, and then, but that led to her transferring to Colorado State to be with her former coach. Uh, and that was a really big uh, culture shock going from California to a small town in Colorado. She said when she got to Colorado, she realized there's no oxygen there and she couldn't breathe. And that was a shock. And also when the new coach had come to the old school his approach was very different, like they would warm up and then he would have them meditate. And she was like, motherfucker, I'm almost asleep. What are you doing to me? <laughs> you know, so it was a little too relaxing. Well, I remember her talking about how the main problem was is she never really loved basketball. Yeah. And you just can't replace that. What drove her was her ability to like tune into that rage and channel it. And she was so competitive, but she didn't love the sport. And so ultimately, that just led to her fizzling out there. What was interesting with her comedy is even when things weren't going well and she would get up and she would fail, she knew it was what she was supposed to do and she loved it so much. So it was interesting to see like those two things side by side, like having so much drive, but not loving it. The difference when and she was winning and winning basketball, but then that can only take you so far when you just don't love it. And then how she just was relentless with her love for comedy, even as we'll talk about facing huge personal and professional obstacles. Yeah. And I think she addresses a couple of times how she, she knew she screwed up. She wasn't working as hard as she should have. She wasn't focused. And so she doesn't blame anybody but herself for losing the scholarship and and not doing well 
at comedy at times when she started. But let's talk about how she started getting up on stage. As I said, she had been a class clown. She just has one of those brains that you see the world humorously. Mm -hmm. And it was in Colorado when she first did stand up because a professional touring comic was coming to campus. And the organizers held a, a funniest person on campus competition. And the winner would get to be the opening act. So Leslie's friend, Danita, encouraged her to do it because she's, you always make us laugh. So now's your chance to get up there. And her friend actually (laughs) entered her without asking. She entered Leslie into it or Leslie never would have done it. She's like, you're doing it. I entered you. You're doing it. Yeah, which is amazing. But I will let you both know, please don't enter me in any contests that I am not aware of. Don't worry. So Leslie won that competition. First time on stage doing stand-up, she won and she killed that night. But then it came time for her to do the, the opening act for at the real show. And it was a disaster. And she was embarrassed. But yet she felt that was her calling. Like something clicked in her head where she's, I just want to be on stage. It's all I want to do. So she dropped out of school. She dropped out of college, moved back to L.A. and started working any jobs she could get while performing comedy in any clubs she could find all around L.A. And her most memorable job that she writes about quite a bit was as a server at Roscoe Chicken and Waffles. And then she just starts performing comedy to get better at it. It's muscle. You just get better every time you're on stage. When she's writing about the early stand-up years, she vacillates about between being really cocky because she's very confident. She has great stage presence. But she also talks about how she knew her material wasn't that great. Yeah, she, she, she said that it wasn't until her brother died that she started telling the truth. And that's where the power of comedy really came in. Was it Chris Rock's advice? Whose advice about you have to live your life? Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so for that one of those first shows, he was like, you need to go live your life for 10 years, which goes around to her saying like the first Wendy's looking at her neighbors one second what do you see out there oh piece of shit neighbor <laughs> like she said she wrote her actual first Mr. Joke. Rogers over here <laughs> <laughs> sorry and can you just say it again without my talking over you she said that she wrote her first joke and didn't her first real joke and didn't share it for 10 years because it took her that long to get the confidence to be honest enough and live and have all that heartbreak and everything that she didn't have when she first started just getting up on stage and telling jokes and repeating what I said earlier. But I think it's makes it really made an impact on me that she had this driving force and knew comedy was her destiny, even when it wasn't going well. Because in the performing arts, when you're just getting rejected, and rejected or it's not going well to just have the confidence to be like no i know it's going to work out is something i can't even comprehend it's amazing and it, it very easily could have not worked out for her. i always think when you see like the singing competitions like american idol and they're like this isn't the last you're gonna see of me probably is <laughs> but she worked to go into those clubs every night and working it out and she went to new york city for a while and stayed there i think sleeping on Oh, she stayed with Rastafarians, I think it was. That was her best situation. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. That was like her- she had a lot of couch surfing that didn't go very well. That and- one guy who wanted to have sex with her and then for letting her rent a room. So she was paying him and he also wanted to have sex with her. And then when she said no, somehow he made her babysit his kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is, I don't know, which is worst. <laughs> and then when she said she didn't want to, he's like, you have to get out tonight. Yeah, crazy. And I, she... Fortunately, in her favor, is uh, very tall and strong, um, but she was in these precarious situations when she's talking about going to these clubs and the comedy clubs, and it's always with men. She doesn't really mention any other women. Uh, and I was mm-hmm. thinking about it. I'm like, there really weren't that many black female stand-ups back then. I'm sure there were. I just am not aware of, but there are many more prominent ones now. But she was probably the rare exception back when she was starting out. I just yeah. saw her interviewed and talking about how that's her biggest advice for women in comedy and everyone in comedy is look out for the women. She's I can't tell you the number of times I was left like the my ride home would just leave with all the guy comedians and I would just be stranded and bumblefuck. And again, she'd be like, and mm-hmm. I'm six foot tall, but like other women that she knew in comedy were raped, were like, it's a very yeah. brutal, lonely, dangerous world for women and probably still. Probably still, right. yeah. So she did that. You just made a name for herself as a comic over the years. It was like a decade at least. It was quite a while. And probably from the ages of, what, 2021 20, into her 40s, she was performing at the comedy store on Sunset Strip. And one night she finished her act and she saw Chris Rock writing in a notebook. And she walked by and asked him what he was doing. And he goes, oh, I just put you on my list of funny people. Imagine what a shot in the arm that was. And he eventually helped her, gave her a big leg up in her career, but it took a while. And she, Mariana, you had something about her first special. I did. I did. Just that she said that in her first special, it wasn't a Netflix special. I feel like it might have been Showtime. She said she got paid nothing. Which is crazy. I know. Maybe she had bad management because I don't know how they... I think, is that the 300,000 one where like she was supposed to get that money and then it just all disappeared? I don't know whether it's between management, the fees. That was, I think she went on tour with Cat Williams. She was his opener. And I think that was when she made that much money. Oh, I just, you know. here, I just found it. It says, out of the cat tour, I got a manager and my Showtime special, Problem Child, for which I didn't get paid, by the way, not a cent. They told me it was just good for my career and that I should be grateful. Oh. That was 20 years of my material for nothing. And I never found out where the money went. Don't know to this day. Yeah, that was not a good manager. That's like back when we, the three of us were have had our blogs and we would get asked to promote things or do work for exposure yeah that's very similar yeah that's very similar (laughs) get those yogurt coupons at one time but it reminds me of what we keep finding out about the early recording contracts i don't doubt that this happens because you're You feel like you finally made it. You have your manager. You can't be on top of everything. And then you get taken advantage of. Like this happens to so many people in this business. In the audio version, I hope this was in the written book. She talks about when she was on Supermarket Suite. 
or no, she was making an Uber Eats commercial or DoorDash. Oh, yes. I don't know. No, it was Uber Eats. Uh, yeah. And she was just being treated like shit. And her manager's just standing there. Yep. Okay. See you tomorrow. People didn't stick up for her. And she's, I show up and I do my job and I do it well. And I hire other people to do theirs and they don't. It's, I really felt her frustration there. Well, what I remember, maybe it was more than one commercial for the Uber Eats one that the director told her to go bug-eyed, which is like a racial slur. And her makeup artist was like, no, you cannot say that. And I feel like she didn't, I get the impression maybe she didn't even do the commercial, but she definitely named them. And right. it was shocking. Yeah. Almost, I, I started to get the, when all of this, this part was in the book, I started thinking, does she exude such confidence and physically she's so strong that nobody's really watching out for her like they should be because they think she can handle anything i think then people are just job? shitty like, and I like know. racist and yeah shitty yeah all right so after leslie fucking jones has been doing stand-up for i would say 15 years at least she has gotten the attention of Chris Rock, and Chris Rock writes in the foreword that Lauren was saying that they needed, they wanted some funny black women to put on the show, because I think they got in trouble for really not having any. So he gave Lauren Leslie's name and said, nobody knows who she is, but everybody should know who she is because she's so hilarious. So that led to her being sent to, or she flew to New York and went on the audition, and I think there were four or five other Black women. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. I just keep opening yeah. to the right pages. Okay. LaKendra Tukes, Amber Ruffin, Sashir Zamata, a whole bunch of young Black sitcom actors, women who I personally didn't think were ready yet to be on SNL. Seemed like Amber and I felt comfortable in the SNL atmosphere, but even though the others had been auditioning a lot, we got the sense these younger actresses weren't used to the kind of place SNL seemed to be. It was a bit intimidating, but since she was older, it didn't scare me as much. And that's what I really loved about her whole experience at SNL. She was like 47, 48, and I'm 49. Like imagining being thrust into SNL and then with all these like 20-somethings who think they know everything and own the world. Wow, that just, and being her, and having all these years of stand-up and like in life on the road and having to pay her dues and work so hard and be plunked into that situation that's like notoriously so intense. I found that fascinating. Yeah. And I love like she described their routine, like they would start Monday afternoon because and then there would be the they'd have to pitch. She was hired as a writer at first, right? Yeah. And she and wasn't happy with that. Yeah, she, she saw the whole thing coming that. too. She was like, "I am not going to let them hire me without fully hiring me as a cast member." And it, she had to fight for it. They first they just offered her the the news, the weekend update, and they yeah. offered her a returning weekend update. And she's, "No, this is exactly what I worried about, and I'm not doing this." Right. And eventually, she got her way. I think she did have to make some compromises and learn to write. And do all the roles. Yeah. She was at first technically hired as a writer, not a cast member. 
Marianne, I, you put in your notes about how funny it was when she was, she was in the parking lot of some nail salon in LA and got the call saying she made <laughs> SNL. So she started running around screaming, I got SNL. And everybody's yeah. looking at her like, is that a venereal disease? <laughs> I love the part, that whole SNL period, because she mentions so many celebrities, which is always one of my favorite parts of any celebrity memoir. Like she said, when she met Justin Timberlake at the after party, she told him he was stealing a lot of her dance moves. And then she was in love with Colin. What's his last name? He was the Just. co-host. Jost. Just. Remember, she called him the delectable Caucasian and she would leave him these inappropriate messages like, come on, Colin, you and me, nobody has to know. Just very funny. She also, was it Sashira when she saw her? She said, oh my God, she's so beautiful. I started to wonder, am I gay? Maybe I'm gay. But she just, she's so lovely. She said Matt Damon was so nice. Katy Perry jumped into her arms and she said Katy Perry was six feet tall. Which no. I didn't know. I don't think That's so. What she said. Okay. Of all oh, the things she's that lying? she's going to lie about, this is that Perry's <laughs> yeah. height. Listen, but did Katy Perry play she... basketball? I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe in grade school, like Anne. Yeah. And then, Flash of course, college. she saw Prince. Remember when she saw Prince? <laughs> yeah. He was the... <laughs> so he was the music host. And when he was rehearsing, it was only the cast that could watch him rehearse. Who, who else watches them rehearse? I guess they open it up to the audience. There's an audience. Yeah, there's a dress rehearsal audience. audience. And she was watching him and she couldn't believe it because her father loved Prince, right? And then he makes eye contact with her. She's, oh my God, he knows who I am. And then she says, she thinks Tom Hanks knew who I was. And there are all these people who know who I am that I didn't know they would know who I am. And then he stops. Prince stops as he's walking towards her. And she's, oh, did you think I was Chris Rock? And he's, yeah. And then he walks the way. <laughs> yeah. That was interesting. <laughs> Go ahead. She said something like, he, he thought I was Chris Rock. And the reason I knew that is I heard him say that was Chris Rock <laughs> or something like that. Because <laughs> I guess Chris Rock was the guest host that week. And she's so nice. She doesn't say anything bad about any celebrity, which obviously was a disappointment for me. With Lauren Michaels was a great thing to read about because she was not afraid of him. Everyone is tiptoes around him. He's the boss. He holds all the power. And she would run up and give him a bear hug. And he just adored her. That was really fun to read about. She's fascinating to me about the SNL years because she isn't a sketch comic. She didn't come up through Second City or study acting or anything. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't a writer either. She was just really funny. She's just a personality. So what led to her getting cast as an actor was when they gave her a weekend update spot. And I I remember watching that at the time. It was just, I'd never seen anything like it when she's talking about how if she had been a slave, she would have been like <laughs> matched up with the biggest studs. This is awful <laughs> for me to be saying this, but this is how her act goes. And, and that was her that, joke. Like, that was, that was the her first joke. joke she ever wrote. And she yep. finally uses it there. Uses and it she there. She needed the courage. Yeah. 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 It paid off big time. And then she parlayed that into being cast full time. And I, I, watch a lot of SNL. We've been watching a lot of the old episodes on Peacock's The Vault. The SNL Vault will just push out random sketches. But she never really 
got into a character like most of the cast did. She was still always Leslie Jones. And that's such a rare thing. I don't think anybody would be allowed to do that again. Remember when she was, I can't remember she, how she got entangled with this catfisher guy and she sent him nudes. Oh, yeah. Well, she thought and, they, um, they were matching like on a dating app, I think. That was a dating that's site. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And and then she realized that he was catfishing her and she has a very funny bit about what the hell is catfishing. But and then he asks her for twenty thousand dollars, otherwise he's going to release the nudes. So she tells her manager, I think, and the manager calls the DA's office and Homeland Security because they believe this person or this group of people were out of the country. So they tell her that you have to get this person on the phone and keep him on as long as possible. Do you remember that? And and they said, you have to keep your cool. You have to act cool. It's just not a problem. I'm an actor. So they're having this back and forth. And this guy asks for $35,000 and she totally loses her shit. And she's, I don't give a shit. I'm let him release the nudes. My aunt and Lord Michael are going to have to see me nude. But she's also, she doesn't really, I'm sorry, I keep talking about how great the audio is and how meaningless your lives are because you yeah, haven't seen it, mm-hmm. haven't heard it. But she talks about, but well, they were really good nudes. <laughs> but also like. I look great. The irony is that the FBI told her to email them to the FBI. And that's <laughs> how they got hacked. It wasn't even this catfisher person who was like holding her for ransom. It was because she had shared them as requested to the FBI. That's how the photos got hacked and re- released, which is just like, It's so crazy. So, and then she, she says, and by the way, if anybody out there wants my nudes, just ask. I'll give them to you. I'm very proud of them. It was another awesome way of somebody taking control of the narrative. And yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's endless comparisons between her and Paris Hilton, of course, but this is one way that reminded me of Paris Hilton taking control of on SNL and that monologue of her horrible sex state situation. And when people can find a way to do that, it really is some way to get your power back. uh, And Minka Kelly, too, remember? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The sex tape. But she also said that. And Martin um, Short. (laughs) <laughs> that's the through line for all was that in the audiobook yeah yeah she said that it taught her that everybody fucks up but nobody could shame her because she just owns it she gets like right in front of it so after snl she left voluntarily i think yeah right? she knew she was done and people yeah. don't believe her because they they say oh everyone always says they're leaving they don't leave she's i know i'm leaving and i left yeah and so she did the ghostbusters remake the one with Melissa McCarthy and I remember on Twitter back then where all of the incels were just going nuts and attacking her and she mm. would fight back a little bit. But then I think she's she has a soft heart and I think it probably really did bother her to the point where she closed down her Twitter account for a little bit. The racism um, was so palpable because yeah. she was the one who got attacked. First of all, I had I delighted in that movie. I remember taking my kids. It was so fun. They had so much fun making it. So I think 
it absolutely sucked that they had no idea what was coming, that people would get so precious about this original movie. And <laughs> it was so ridiculous. And she makes a funny comparison of she hadn't seen anything like it. Oh, yeah. Until somebody tried to make a Black Mermaid. Right. So it's. Yeah. Should have seen it coming, but didn't. And then especially just the pylon with her specifically was so heinous. She also, she talks about the loss that she's had. She's lost both of her parents within six months of each other, although I believe her mother had a stroke earlier and she was really incapacitated for a long time. And then she lost her brother also. And each time the hospital or relative would call and say, you're family members unresponsive. And she's like, why does everybody keep saying unresponsive? And then she said, I should have named this title, this book unresponsive. <laughs> and, uh, but there's humor even in the pain, or I don't know, there may be a better way to say that because she said that she was filming a movie and I can't remember which one when her brother died. And before he died, the doctor called and she said, is he on drugs? And she's like, how the fuck do I know? You're there with him. I'm like three states away. But so she's definitely had a lot of loss and pain. She said early on in the book that the loss of her brother would hit the hardest. Uh, yeah. Because I guess you go through life expecting your parents will pass before you, but not your brother. And he, she talks about him, how he sold drugs. He was homeless often. And she would support him and give him money a little bit. But they had big fights. And again, she mm -hmm. didn't need to share that stuff, especially because he's not around to talk about it, but she doesn't make herself out to be the hero in any situation. No. One thing I found like a little tidbit interesting is that she participated in the looting during the Rodney King riots, but was that like, was just an up aside. Some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My hallway looked like Target. I'm like, okay. Did they even have Target back then? I feel like I've yeah, been introduced they did. to Target. They've been later. around forever. Yep. Really? Yeah. It started in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I used to go in high school. One After thing that basketball she, practice. Yes. One thing that <laughs> she's done that I think really speaks to her spirit and her funny brain is she got a lot of attention for doing Instagram videos and Twitter videos where she would watch the Olympics. Oh, and right. Just talk and cheer them on. And so funny. And I love things like that because it's so organic and it's just her being her natural funny self without trying to get anything from that. She's just, these Olympics are awesome and I'm watching them and I'm having so much fun right, and just right. talking about it. And I think that led to her getting an on-air thing as an Olympic commentator. Did it? I well, think so on NBC. I feel like first what happened, this is just from my memory, not from the book, is that somebody told her she couldn't do it anymore, which was incredibly, right. like it was another huge controversy and it was so shitty, right? She's again just being joyful. And she talks about how the Olympics were a huge thing in her family. Like everyone stopped what they were doing. They watched all the events. So this was really organic to her. And why she was so funny is because she knew all the nuances and like really could be a commentator in a very, with her own style. And that's why it went viral. But then I don't know if it was NBC, but somebody for a while, told her to take it down. She had to take it down. And was this during the pandemic? I feel like this was during a time where we didn't have a lot of joy. And she was like, I am just trying to have fun. And 
But then, yeah, I feel like the story changed and it led to something. But as always, I'm like an encyclopedia with the details. It's like she, I feel like she's just so big and funny and out there. And these white men, for the most part, are the ones that are trying to put her back in her place. You're too much. We don't want you to be that much. And that's what happened with Ghostbusters and with the Olympic coverage. And I'm sure that's got to be wearing on her a little bit. Yeah. When people suck, I think it's exhausting. And I think she's genuinely like she comes across as such a nice person Mm -hmm. and not because she says, as some people do, I'm such a nice person. I personally have to remind everybody how wonderful I am all the time. But she just seems like a kind, good person who's super funny and talented. She doesn't have this false modesty. She knows she's fantastic. But Mm -hmm. she also, do you remember that time she goes on and she, like she says, she killed for an hour and 20 minutes and the friend she was, it was like, are you fucking crazy? If I had to listen to somebody for an hour and 20 minutes, I'd lose my shit. You have to cut that down and you have to memorize it and do the set. And again, she's open about it. I don't know everything, but he was right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's when she finally started working with an editor and realizing how much that would benefit her. Like she found. Yeah. Somebody Editors are so important. Yeah. Yeah, she, from the beginning of the book, you can see her personality is that she's just very charming and charismatic. And that's how she talks her way out of trouble with her teachers. And her humor doesn't ever come from a mean place. And it's, you know, it can be raunchy and raw type of her jokes. But it's just genuinely her. And it's not like some of the male comedians who are just leave you with the icky feeling. Um, right. I forgot that from her. Any parting thoughts? Any Leslie fucking Jones reflections? Motherfucker? I, because she is our age, I found a lot of her reflections really powerful. During COVID, she had, or right before COVID, she had hemorrhoid surgery, which was just so fucking funny when she talks about not being able to poop and the way she describes it is just, it's both painful, a little disgusting, but mostly very funny. And she talks about like how she didn't even notice there was a lockdown until she came out of this fecal nightmare, shall we say. And she said, I have to learn how to shit again. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and she said when in lockdown, she was a little depressed because she's, I'm older and this is, I now have all these older person things. And I can relate to that because things do feel different when you're older. But she also has a reflection. For example, when she was on SNL, a friend of her called her and said, look, can you get my daughter a ticket because she's being bullied in school? And she's, oh, yeah, I'll do one better. So she gets her to SNL and she gets her to meet Lady Gaga. And this girl is just overwhelmed and Lady Gaga's like, oh, all this exterior stuff is just bullshit. You have to believe in yourself. And it really just, it was very, I think it was very powerful. I think this whole episode is flowing in this really beautiful way. (laughs) We're on it. I feel like we're representing Leslie fucking Jones to an amazing extent by the book. You're going to love it by the audiobook. Unlike Yeah, by the audiobook, if there's one thing I've learned by the audiobook when it's a comedian. Um, but the other fun thing is that I listened to Leslie <laughs> at 1.6 speed. Oh, 
So she was like really ramped up for me. <laughs> wow. She's, yeah, so do you think I, this will translate my chopping my hair? Yeah. Did either of you watch her on Supermarket Sweep? No. No. But now I, I want to. I love that show and the combination of her personality and people running around with shopping carts sounded like a winner, but. But that was an example anymore. of exactly what you were saying. She talked about how they will hire her, but they never actually want her as she yeah. really is. And she loved the work that they did on that show. And then once it went through the editing, it just was not remotely what they taped. And she, it was mm. so disappointing. Yeah. yeah she re she's really one of a kind. She's you know her right away. She's not like a chameleon or an actress. And I'm fascinated by her tenure on SNL by just being herself because most of the cast members, there's some cast members that have been on there for 10, 12 years. I don't even know their names. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right. So are you all going to officially change your names to have a, a F word as your middle name? I, I will not be changing my name Okay. at this point, but I'll keep you posted on future developments. How about you, Wendy? I think I might go like Wendy hot shit errands. I like it. Anne? Yeah. I'm going to keep my middle name. So Anne, actually, no, Anne motherfucking Imig. I like it. There you go. All right. Thank you all for listening. We recommend this book if you're a fan of Leslie's, if you're a fan of women in comedy, or if you just really appreciated what we said and you want to read it for yourself. But better yet, you should listen to the audio version because that's apparently where all the cool kids are, is listening <laughs> to the audio version. As I mentioned before, please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We have a lot in the can that we can't wait to get out to you from some really great books and some great celebrities. And also leave us some reviews. The five stars are the best ones. We like those. So please do that. Now I understand reviews. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.